Hi guys and welcome or welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host Indira and today I'm joined by running icon Becky Briggs. In this episode we go through her journey from eating disorder to GB marathon runner at only 22. And so what did she do to overcome these challenges and struggles and what's it like now being a professional marathon runner and running coach? Before we get into it, if you've been enjoying the podcast, please be sure to give a rating and review. Really helps the podcast out. Let's get into it. Okay, Becky, hi and welcome to the podcast. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Enjoying the sunshine, but yeah, all good. Yeah, but it's uh, definitely pretty toasty or at the time of recording, it's, you know, pretty damn hot. <laughs> Um, and can you introduce yourself you know as an athlete and you know who you are yeah so um I'm Becky Briggs I'm a 229 marathon runner and I also work as an online running coach um I've been running since I was about nine years old so a pretty long time and I'm based in the Teddington area which in my opinion is the best area to be in the UK for running (laughs) well you know there you have it guys get yourself down to Teddington okay (laughs) and let's just you know kick start with a couple of sharp questions what would you say has been your biggest lesson learned from sport I would say that it is I would say nothing's over until you decide that it's over that would be my biggest lesson Lovely. Sharp and to the point. Nothing is over until you decide it's over, guys. Okay. And on the other side, what is your next biggest goal or thing that you're looking to achieve? Oh, that's a really difficult one. Um, Next biggest thing I would say to, you know, the past year has been turbulent, you know, injury, change of coach, you know, all that jazz. So I would say the next big thing I'm, you know, looking to achieve is just to kind of get back to my best in terms of not necessarily like performances and times on paper, but, you know, and I think I'm pretty much there, but to kind of think, do you know what, like I'm back um, and, you know, I'm, I'm where I, you know, was before I kind of like left for injury. Yeah, definitely. That internal sense of knowing, you know, it's all where you want it to be. Awesome. Okay. And what is the number one piece of advice you would give to your younger self? I would say it would be to stay tough because if you stay tough, then you can do so, so much more than you ever imagined and, you know, kind of overcome other people's expectations as well. I love that. Yeah, great piece of advice there, guys. Okay, and, you know, last one, what topics do you currently feel most strongly about within sport? I would say you know, it still stands the kind of um, inequality and like coverage between male and female athletes. I think that's definitely a big thing. I would say um, also like taboo topics, you know, whether that be people not speaking up about, you know, like injuries or, you know, tough times that they've gone through. And, you know, there are still kind of things that are, you know, kind of frowned upon um, or not frowned upon, but, you know, maybe aren't quite as open as, you know, they could be. And then I would say like for a third thing, it'd probably be um, a little bit of a different one, but um, I, I think it's so important to kind of like, you know, highlight to the younger generation, the importance of um, fueling well and, you know, injuries and how to prevent these things, because these are things that are so important at such a young age. And um, I know that kind of like in my years growing up in athletics, I had absolutely no idea. And I think it would have helped if, you know, I had have done. And I'm sure there's loads of other people in the same situation. 
Yeah, definitely. It's kind of like those, you know, horrible stats that 90% of us will get dementia or cancer. It's like 90% of athletes might have an injury or a fueling issue, you know, very, very prevalent stuff in particular. Okay. So to, to get started then, what would you say has been the biggest highlight and also the biggest low light of your running journey so far? So my biggest highlight was was probably when I ran my first half marathon because I'd never really run the half marathon distance without stopping. I didn't have that high expectations. I went into the race hoping that I could run under 80 minutes. I had no idea what pace I was on for or anything. And when I turned down the finishing line, I saw the clock and it was still on 74 minutes and I just crept inside the 75 minute mark. And that was probably the highlight because that kind of like catapulted um me to have that belief in myself that actually like maybe I can do this I know where my strengths lie it's in long distance running it's on the road and um yeah you know maybe I have got something so yeah probably not the GB vests not the marathons but that was probably the highlight oh that's no that's lovely to hear you know it, it often is someone's highlight is something that you know not necessarily is the thing on paper that everyone would look at and go that's the one but something that has a bit more I guess wider meaning to you and your individual journey okay and yeah. and on to, onto the low light oh uh, I mean it ha- it has to be um being sat on the train last year and getting the phone call up to say you know you have got you know bilateral sacral stress fractures I think that yeah that was probably the low light in that moment you know kind of looking back I think it was I'm glad that it happened because I learned so much from it. But in that moment, that was probably um, you know a pretty low moment. Yeah, it's always it's always horrible to get you know bad news, especially sometimes. Mm. I think by phone, it can be especially kind yeah. of sudden, and you're on your own. But yeah, I mean, if you yeah. if you gain some stuff from it, then that's definitely something that we can focus on and talk about later on in the episode as well. So if we wind back the clock a little bit, I know you said you started when you were about nine how and why did you get into running so my family was always like a really active family my mum and dad ran when um we was, me and my sister were growing up they went to the local running club and then my sister got into athletics she's two years older than me she got into athletics and I was pretty adamant that I didn't want to go I was like no like I don't understand why people are running for fun it's not fun type of thing um but our local track in rush hour was pretty much like an hour journey in each direction so I was going along and it was a, like a long journey to kind of sit and wait and eventually I kind of gave in and was like all right then like I'll give it a go and yeah very much you know kind of like fell in love with it and you know the training and that feeling of running you know running hard and doing those sessions um yeah that was when I was still in primary school and that's pretty much how I got into it oh no and you know thank goodness you did so you know maybe there's a benefit to that rush hour traffic but I guess then (laughs) starting at a younger age How do you think that this then maybe impacted your mindset around running and potentially future goals? I think, mm, yeah, that's a, that's a strange one. I think that um, starting at such a young age in terms of goals, I always knew that I, that I wanted to run a marathon at an early age. And I think that because I started so young, it wasn't like it was going to be out of the question because, you know, like, 
if you run a marathon at the age of you know like 21 but you've been running for 12 years then like in running years you know you're actually quite far on in the journey and I think that that definitely kind of like changed that was that I was like not that I wanted to rush into it but that I was like you know why wait any longer type of thing you know because I've been running for ages so you know this is where I want to go with it so why not go with it you know sooner rather than later yeah no no definitely I mean the I guess legal ages it's 18 for a marathon so you know when you have got those years behind you it it does logically make sense that you'd be you know ripe and ready to go on the marathon (laughs) yeah okay and so do you think overall then that you're glad running's been in your life or you know what what are your thoughts on you know the relative benefits and detriments that it's had for you yeah I mean running for me has been so much more than kind of like a hobby that I do I've always had such a a close tie with it meaning so much more than that and you know very early on from when I started it it you know the way it made me feel was something more than just like a hobby that I wanted to get better at you know it gave me this almost kind of like um you know I, I don't know how to describe it but you know it kind of like made me feel like oh yeah this is what I what makes like my life feel so great type of thing and yeah I think um you know detriments you know it's one of those things where you could say yeah there's things that I've missed out on in terms of you know like you know potentially like holidays with you know like friends or like maybe as many nights out and you know things like that you know like normal kind of like you know teenage and early 20 things but actually where I'm at like now at the age of 23 with such a solid friend group and my job being you know in the running world I am so grateful for it because it's something that I love and um you know even if it's not for my running itself like my life is kind of like firmly cemented in that and no matter what happens in my own running journey you know achievements and championship races and times like I still love the sport and running for what it is and if I can inspire other people to do that and help them with their journeys then that's great. Yeah well I mean you know it seems that you're already doing that and you know that's just so great to hear. I guess then, you know, something that, you know, you are an athlete who has been on on the media, on the news, you know, there is there is a fair amount of information about you out there. And something that does come up a lot or, you know, there has been coverage of is your experience of having an eating disorder. So I think, you know, that's something that a lot of listeners are keen to, to hear about. And, you know, it clearly was a large part of your, you know, running journey at that point in your life. When did this start to happen for you? And, you know, when were you formally diagnosed and with what? Yeah, so it's all kind of, you know, very complicated. But essentially, it was in year six of primary school was very much when like my running and food became very like entangled. And I was, you know, a very small primary school struggling with, you know, friendship groups and things like that. And essentially through kind of like running and limiting what I ate, I felt like I had that that sense of control that, you know, I so desperately wanted and felt so much better if I was, you know, kind of like exerting myself to the point of feeling like, oh, like I've, you 
you know left everything out there type of thing and you know part of that was then kind of like fueled by under fueling because I felt like I got that feeling more by running on less type of thing and that just kind of like continued and got you know worse and worse and worse throughout like the start of secondary school and then by the time it kind of hit Christmas time in year eight so that would be 12 at that point it got so bad that I just couldn't handle myself and you know kind of like kind of like living in like a normal life and being able to go to school and things like that I just simply couldn't do it and at that point you know my weight dropped to you know a level where like you know cams and the mental health services were like you know you can't run and that was the only thing that was kind of like keeping me be able to operate somewhat of normal life and when that was taken away I just couldn't do it at all and then that January I was sectioned and taken to an inpatient unit stayed there for pretty much like three months then came out you know at a healthy weight and yeah tried to move on with my life but you know for sure I can say that the treatment in that hospital was very much treating the physical symptoms of something that for me was nothing to you know yes of course you need to be like a healthy weight but that wasn't I it wasn't the it wasn't that I was trying to kind of like hit a certain weight on the scales I had no idea what weight I was it wasn't about that it wasn't about being you know lighter to run faster that's not what it was it was about it was kind of like more deep-rooted than that it was to do with like self-worth and you know feeling like um if I could kind of like run on less and like I would feel more and that's what it was and that you know didn't get kind of broken down and at the age of you know 12 13 all I wanted to do was go back home to my parents and you know it, it was so backwards in the hospital that like I wasn't allowed a phone and I wasn't allowed to contact school friends and stuff and it, it was just kind of like I just wanted to go back to to normal life so I did you know and I you know went back to school but then it took a long time you know from you know coming out of hospital at 13 pretty much to 17 of kind of like you know yo-yoing between like healthy weight and not healthy weight and you know hard relationships with food but at that point you know I could always kind of continue like with my life much more normally and that was very much because I wasn't ever going to let myself go back into a hospital like that because it was horrendous <laughs> so yeah but it kind of took the next four years to get to the point before I actually decided no enough's enough like I've got to move on yeah definitely I mean that that really does sound quite horrendous and especially at such a young age I mean can't even imagine how difficult that time was and you know I think like you say you make a really interesting point I think when eating disorders become involved with athletes I mean I guess there's lots of reasons that these things happen but it seems that most commonly people kind of center around the idea of either body image or kind of control and mainly to do with how they feel when they're running and so I suppose I don't know would you say it's fair to say that perhaps when dealing with eating disorders for athletes a slightly different approach needs to be taken and perhaps more kind of focus needs to go on to the psychological side of things? Yeah I would say 100% because you know everyone's case is very different you know everyone's individual case is gonna you know um need different kind of help and support to get them to that place where they're you know okay with with being type of thing but yeah 100% because it's breaking down you know the reasons why and actually understanding that you know it it might not necessarily be kind of like the classic you know anorexia nervosa like it it probably isn't 
you know it might be but it might not be and you know to to get to you know a point where you're gonna both like thrive in you know like your like athletic career if you still want to do that and also normal life as well then that needs to come together because otherwise you might be able to function okay in normal life but that might not translate over to you know if you want to kind of continue with your sport yeah definitely yeah yeah really really great points there and do you think reflecting back on the process there could have been anything different that was done so that you felt you were in a better place kind of leaving the inpatient unit yeah definitely I mean like I ha- I have so much to say on it and like not once was there any intervention of like why do you feel like this I was never asked it was just when you hit this weight then you can go home which uh, like you know it it was classed as being like a mental health unit but that uh, there no one once asked me like why why do you feel like you've got yourself into this situation like no one asked um so it wasn't you know wasn't worked on um which is why I think it took me so long to kind of like actually have that switch and be like I don't want to do this anymore yeah definitely and you know kind of extending on that note do you think that there's any element of you being female as to why perhaps it was perhaps stereotyped oh you know typical teenage girls weight struggles do you think that potentially if you were male there could have been more investigation into kind of the deeper psychological reasons Mm, I think when I reflect on my individual situation in that one specific hospital I think no I think it was quite honestly like a a a really poor like lack of you know lack of care and treatment but I think overall kind of like from a you know a wider perspective then yes because you know I was very young and like yes I was you know like a, a young teenage girl starting school and but it was, you know, it was very much the opposite of, you know, like I wasn't looking at like other girls wanting to be like them. It just wasn't like that. So in that perspective, um, yeah, I think I was kind of like classified as like, yeah, like this is this is what, you know, you've got when actually like if someone would have asked what was going on inside my head, they'd have been like, no, no, this is the wrong diagnosis. But yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, it's NHS coming through as always. Good to know taxes are being spent well. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I guess then, you know, you mentioned yo-yoing for years after that. And I think that that's a common experience where a lot of listeners can relate to. And I, I think, you know, in an episode with Molly, um, she mentioned kind of the half recovery phase. And that was something that resonated quite strongly with a lot of people what was your experience of kind of the yo-yoing and you know what specific factors do you think were the causes for perhaps slight relapses back into old habits but also for kind of you know as the impetus for for further growth Mm, so I think when I when I kind of came out of hospital you know this is like progressing through secondary school years like at that point I just so wanted to kind of like fit back into normal life and be able to kind of like run again and you know I joined like a junior athletics club and it was like very much like um doing like local fun runs and it wasn't really structured training but like I could do what I loved again and for that time you know like I was you know quote unquote like fine type of thing but then I think as I kind of like got a little bit off 
bowler and like my running you know progress more or in case back to that you know going through you know hard times you know with exams and GCSEs it's you know really hard you know stress level environment for you know everyone of that age and you know I am someone that you know is such a high achiever and would be revising every minute of every day and like you know it paid off in my exam results but it came with you know a lot of hard work and I think along with that you know trying to kind of manage that stress that it very much turned to you know what what I would definitely kind of like self-diagnose as orthorexia so I was eating you know there were a lot of foods that like I wouldn't go near so I you know could live completely like a normal life from you know like an onlooker and you know I'd still be able to you know like you know go about you know I could handle myself very well could speak very well but I wasn't fueling enough and it, it wasn't in kind of like a healthy and sustainable way to sustain you know my my training and you know like a levels and things like that so yeah it, it definitely kind of like moved to you know orthorexia but you know I and you know I was under fueling you know as kind of like a consequence of that yeah that that makes sense and you know you mentioned orthorexia there for anyone who's not aware what that is would you be able to kind of give an overview yeah so orthorexia is um it's not classified as an eating disorder yet um but it is essentially an unhealthy obsession with healthy eating or clean eating where you know food food groups are cut out so you know but this can lead to kind of like malnourishment because um for instance you know commonly you know what something that might be cut out might be um dairy products which then means that you don't have enough fat in your diet which then has you know consequences of you know just simply not being able to function properly yeah yeah absolutely and I guess you know though that is something that I suppose maybe social media kind of has a role in perhaps kind of that uh distribution of you know not always correct information I guess again the same coming back to the fact that as an athlete, you know, you acquire a lot more energy than, you know, your average citizen, I suppose. So, yeah. yeah. And I guess then to kind of bring bring it to the other side, at what point did you manage to lift yourself fully from the situation and, you know, fully put these things behind you? Yeah, so I did, it was English schools cross country in 2017. And it was the one at Norwich might be showing my age but like it was it was the one at Norwich and I just remember feeling like I was treading water I was putting so much effort in and wasn't going anywhere and now I look back at there's some photos of me coming down the finishing line and like my form I just didn't have like the the muscle mass or power to be able to actually kind of like go forwards I was putting so much effort in but just kind of like wasn't actually like gaining much ground and I finished that race and I was just so upset with where I'd finished and I just kind of felt like you know deep down I knew that it was because like I wasn't a you know I didn't feel present in the race I just like I I just felt like I couldn't get it felt like a a nightmare when you're kind of like you know treading through water that's what it felt like and I knew deep down why it was and it took to kind of like pretty much summer 2017 then when my parents didn't know what to do because you know we've gone through the kind of like cams and you know nhs mental health services and they you know 
they don't have you know the capacity or you know the knowledge to to kind of help and I'm very much someone that like you know I'll take advice off people who you know like I have like a lot of respect for in that that kind of field so my mom and dad didn't know what to do and they knew that um like the the kind of like best local runner in my area was also like a, a physio did like sports rehab my dad had been to see him um for like some physio work and they essentially just said to him look I know you're not qualified in this but is there any chance that you could speak to Becky and try and just kind of like get through to her you know th the importance of you know kind of like like why we need kind of like if you want to run fast then there are reasons you know like what 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 can we do type of thing so I went and spoke to him and he was absolutely fantastic and um you know didn't go like you know it, it was just kind of like explaining like why you know you need to fuel properly and like you're not going to run fast if you don't have the muscle mass and you need enough protein and things like that and he didn't go like super hard into it or anything but just kind of gave me some ideas of like you know what kind of changes I could make and you know how I could improve my running form and it very much kind of came like hand in hand I changed coaches to like a senior club and um yeah it just kind of made that switch that rather than someone saying you must reach a certain weight before you can you know do x amount of training which I just think is fueling unhealthy habits in all honesty because it's just like numbers driven it was more kind of like you've got to make these changes for yourself but if you don't do it then you're going to carry on exactly where you are and he said to me at that point where do you want to where you know what is your dream in running and I said at some point I would like to get an England vest but I said maybe it would be in like fell running I'd never done a fell race but at that point like you know it was kind of like oh I'd, I'd love to kind of like have a go at that like maybe if I could get an international vest that's what it would be in and yeah that that's what he said to me and then you know kind of like a year later I made my first England team for um the 10k in France so yeah but that's what made that switch but I think you know I needed to kind of like do that myself but it was just coming from someone who was like no if you want to kind of improve your running then you know what you've got to do so do it and yeah I think it's always got to come from you. It can't, you know, no one else can kind of like drag you out of a bad situation apart from yourself. And you've got to get to the point where, you know, you know that you need to do it to actually do it. Yeah, absolutely. Change has always got to come from within you. But I guess, you know, sometimes it can be really helpful to just have that kind of third person or someone new. And I guess also mm -hmm. you mentioned there how, you know, him perhaps showing you, what the future could look like and what you might need to do to get there was quite a big part in kind of motivating you. So I suppose maybe, you know, moving forwards, it's it's something that people can consider maybe giving perhaps, you know, more rehab options or just, I don't know, showing people the path. And, you know, along those lines, then, you know, you mentioned for you building up muscle and then becoming strong enough to kind of support the level of running you wanted to get to. What did the journey look like then? You know, you mentioned changing coaches as well. You know, what specifically did you change about your approach to training? Yeah, so at that point, I went from kind of like training at the junior club where it was very like unstructured type of thing to I moved clubs and 
um, my new coach was absolutely fantastic and he sent me what he wanted me to do during the week and I went away and kind of did it there'd be a track session on a Wednesday a hill session on a Friday and then I would run on the other days of the week and it was essentially it was it was just a lot more structured it wasn't anything crazy anything wild it was you know a 5k volume track session on a Wednesday hill session on a Friday and then the rest of it was you know kind of like easy run long run type of thing and it was yeah definitely that kind of like structure of doing it and but because of the type of training it was for instance my track sessions I would only time the recovery so I had no idea what I was doing for the reps and on a hill session it was kind of like on a whistle to time so there was no pressure on you know, that rep was, you know, this pace or this needs to be this pace. I was just simply training really hard without that kind of like pressure. And I think I just, you know, improved so much from that and, you know, gained so much fitness. And, you know, with that was really trying to kind of like, you know, increase like my protein intake, you know, overall fueling and was just actually like gaining that strength really worked to my running form by like training on the track you know I didn't train on the track from before I went into hospital when I was um like 12 years old until I was 17 so training on the track and having someone watching me really helped me kind of like you know get my form together and you know yeah that in turn with just you know more muscle mass more strength really did kind of like you know propel me forwards and I took you know huge chunks off my 10k time in small spaces of time yeah definitely and you know I have to say I agree with you when I when I went to uni I kind of made the change from timed reps to timed rests and yeah uh, time as Mm. opposed to distance I think it definitely does make a difference would you say for you some of that came from just listening to your body more and being able to trust your own instincts I think I think the thing is is like I'm you know I knew at that point that like I am very much kind of like a a a perfectionism driven person and that I knew what was best at that point and it was not to get too attached to any numbers in regards to training it was just to train hard and I knew that that was what was best so yeah I, I would say so Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned form a few times and what specifically can you give maybe some specific examples of maybe things or exercises, drills or ways of kind of evaluating Mm. your form and then improving it that that you took on board? Yeah. So at this point, I was very much like a four foot striker. So I was landing on like my tiptoes and because of like almost like my lack of muscle mass I was very much kind of like leaning forwards really really overstriding and landing on my toes and it took kind of like a lot of work of like um like improving like my core and my glute strength to be able to kind of like tilt that back land a lot more kind of like on the midfoot and not have that overstriding but landing kind of like you know under you know under my kind of like center of mass and a lot of it quite strangely and you know I say this as a coach you know now to my athletes is that you know you've got to kind of like you know pinpoint the things that are you know improvements that could be made on your running form and sometimes you've got to go on a run and just like actually think about it not think about you know the pace or the distance or whatever and you can't do it all the time because it's quite hard work if you so used to running on your tiptoes and then you're like no I'm going to try and run on my midfoot but sometimes you've just got to like think about it and you know any habit that we do over and over again like becomes kind of like written into us and I do kind of think that 
that is kind of the case with form to a certain extent um obviously there's things like you know drills and you know strength and exercises that are going to really help that but you know for me things like where I was kind of like foot placement and maybe like my arms that type of thing were definitely things that I like actually practiced and then it just became routine no that's really great to hear and in terms of you know runs where you should be consciously thinking about form how many a week would you recommend for someone who's currently sat here or stood here thinking about you know making these some changes yeah so I would definitely say if you've got like an easy run or a recovery run you know kind of like it doesn't even have to be the whole run you know it could be like the middle couple of kilometers you're like okay right like now I'm gonna think about form and then I'm gonna kind of relax and I would definitely say that doing strides on the end of easy runs you know not on the end of every easy run but you know maybe once or twice a week is a really good way of working on your form you don't need to be going crazy fast you don't need to be you know doing loads and loads of strides but just that opportunity to think like you know I'm running at a faster pace here and I'm not kind of like building up that fatigue but I can just kind of like focus solely on my form even if it's a case of getting you know propping up your camera getting a friend to film you you know having that kind of like log yourself so that you can be like okay this is what I need to work on and then you know see the improvements over time yeah definitely you know take that on board some you know great advice there and in terms of you know your journey once you'd built up maybe some more muscle worked on your form a bit would you say that you felt significantly different whilst running and in a, in a positive way yeah 100% it just felt like I had so much more almost like like clarity like like the you know like the the misty air just kind of cleared and it felt like it it just felt like I had this power where I was like just running and like I could you know like the running not that it felt easier but it, it felt so much more natural and felt like I could you know put so much more into it and just had that that drive to really be able to you know get so much more out of myself without feeling you know like dizzy and kind of like you know foggy you know that kind of brain fog that you get from under fueling is horrible and you know if you fuel properly and you know yeah it just makes it so much nicer like a nicer experience yeah, definitely. Yeah, if you're if you're in a position that Becky was in many years ago, you know, definitely take on board some of this advice and, you know, hopefully the mist will clear for you as well. Okay, and so, you know, we move on a bit now. With all this stuff, you know, the new changes coming into a better place, I guess in a personal sense in terms of running. How did you end up, you know, racing on the road? You know, when when was the first road race and, you know, what was that experience like? Yeah, so my first road race um so when I came out of hospital I joined the junior club it was like fun runs and it was just kind of like when you hit the age of 15 then that's the kind of like um youngest age you can do the 10k distance in the UK so as soon as you hit 15 you 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 did the 10ks and not the fun runs so my first road race was um my local town's 10k um two months after I turned 15 and I said to myself bear in mind I didn't have any sort of GPS watch or anything at this point so I had no idea I said to myself I'm gonna break 40 minutes and I ran 39.58 so that was <laughs> that was my first experience of a road race um but yeah you know it and then it was just kind of like 10ks but I wasn't 
training for them properly and it was still in this kind of yo-yo period for the next two years then when I changed clubs that's when you know I got my 10k time down from like sitting at that 40 minute barrier to 36 minutes I think by the time it was November 2017 so took a big chunk off and that's when I was like that's when I was training properly you know I was racing really well and it was kind of like yeah okay um that I feel like was when my real road racing era started and I was doing things like Leeds Abbey Dash you know like the the proper road races rather than these kind of like local 10ks in random villages in kind of like the Yorkshire area yeah yeah no and you know that's a quick turnaround as well you mentioned it kind of being the summer of 2017 where you started to make these changes and you know to be out and racing well in in November is is really impressive and I mean, obviously, the marathons are something that you've done phenomenally at. Would you say, you know, did you ever imagine that you'd be running the marathon to such a high level? So this is a strange one because. No, maybe not me personally, but the coach that I moved to when I was 17 um, before I came to uni said to me, you're going to run in the 2022 Commonwealth Games Marathon. And I just kind of dismissed this comment because I thought, like, I, I've got absolutely no idea when I'm going to first, like, do my first marathon or anything. I had no idea. But equally, like, he had that belief in me. And, you know, it, it just so happened that I didn't run in the 2022 Commonwealth Games Marathon, but I had that choice and I chose Europeans. And, you know, what he said, it, it came true. So I don't think... I had that belief but he did but then equally I think when I was training for my first marathon I kind of had that like actually like I I can do this like if I just kind of keep going the way that I'm going like I am going to be able to you know compete at a fairly high level because it's as much as it is a test of like physical strength like a lot of it is mental strength as well and I I knew that I I had that part and like if I could tap into it then you know I could go you know fairly far yeah I mean belief is is so important and you know it's it's great that you had a coach that saw your potential and believed in you because yeah that definitely is such an important part of it and I guess if we you know talk through your experience with running marathons do you want to talk us through maybe your first one or maybe some of your kind of learning points overall? Yeah, so my first marathon was at the Olympic trials and it was at Kew Gardens and it was a 13 lap course on a two mile loop. And the training for this, you know, it was, you know, my first marathon. I didn't really know what to expect, like, you know, the the transition in training from what I was doing before I decided to do the marathon to doing the marathon was huge you know the length of the sessions you know I'd never done more than like a 30 minute volume session and then you've got these reps and float sessions that are huge type of thing remember one day I had a double session day and covered nearly 29 miles which is ridiculous type of thing and it it was a real shock to the system um but I got myself in really good shape for that marathon it was in the period of lockdown so I feel like everyone was in really good shape because there wasn't really much else to do um but I neglected how important fueling for the marathon was because I'd done my two and a half hour runs around Bushy Park like close to six minute mile in on nothing not even taking on water but 
like and I've not had any of the physiological tests done and I'm not 100% clued up on it but there must be some kind of shift in where I am between the six minute mile and mark and 540 which was the pace that we were going at in that lead group at the Olympic trials there must be some kind of shift where above six minute miling I can I can run for two and a half hours without taking on any any fuel just fine but close to that 540 I can't and I learned that the hard way by severely bonking um but I was determined to finish it and I did you know I stopped I stopped my watch I you know ran walked but you know I luckily because it was a two mile course I got round to um where the drink station was drank a full bottle of Morton like 500 mils of it while walking and I, I managed to get myself to the finish line and all things considered you know it wasn't a bad time it was like 2 38 um but I was extremely disappointed with it because I knew how poorly I executed that marathon and ultimately I knew it was my fault because if I'd have fueled it properly I might have not made the Olympic you know the Olympic team but I would I know looking back from the sessions I was definitely in the shape to run like at least like a two like a 232 233 which would have been an incredible first marathon um but it definitely kind of gave me that determination to think like right well I've got to prove to myself that I can get this right next time and yeah I yeah, I definitely took that on board. Wow. I mean, 238 is by no means to be sneezed at. <laughs> first things first. But, you know, I love the the use of a severe bonk. You know, let's dive into that a bit more. Mm-hmm. How do you know when, you know, this phenomenon came around for you? Oh, God, it is. It's awful. It, it's such an awful feeling. And it is simply that, like, you all of And it's a very, like, it's very sudden and you just like run out of energy and like your brain goes completely unclear like you just feel like you can't go forwards and like you can't like think rationally so rather than just being like okay I'm going to slow down and jog around this next lap until it's like the right I'm going to stop and then I'm going to stop my watch and then I'm going to like go really fast again and then I'm going to stop dead and then go fast again and stop it's like you know and like it's to an onlooker you would think like why is that person doing that but I think it's because in that moment like you're never mind your body but your brain doesn't have like the energy to like make you know to think rationally and to think about like actually you know jog it in ask you know is there anyone else on the course that you know got any kind of fuel that you can take on so yeah that that's what I would say it's just that kind of like you just can't quite fathom what the best thing to do is yeah. But yeah. yeah. Maybe that's why it's a random 26. Perhaps 30 was just too much and humans started, you know, the brain went, people yeah. started going backwards. He knows. But, <laughs> you know, you mentioned earlier as well, having a massive increase in sessions. You know, I know you mentioned the 29 miles. I mean, that that is huge. That sounds huge. How do you kind of adapt or kind of progress from, I suppose, you know, more average, perhaps 10Ks, 5Ks to suddenly you know, putting in the volume for such a long race? Mm. So I think before I started um, marathon training, since the year before I came to uni, I had been doing like between 80, like over 80 miles a week, pretty much like week in, week out for it would be, yeah, like two years. 
which is quite a long time so I was already on like very kind of like high mileage my body could tolerate that and it was a switch from doing three sessions a week to two sessions a week and you know kind of like slowing down my like steadier runs and you know it it was it was gradual but yeah it was that drop in like regularity of sessions and then kind of like going you know up in volume and you know marathon pace being like you know not that they were less intense overall but you know the paces are slightly slower so it does allow for that kind of like it to creep up in terms of you know the distance of those sessions but that's not to be said that like god it, it the for my first marathon and this is the only time that I've had this through for like a marathon block but my coach at the time sent me like the list of the Tuesday and Friday sessions for the 12 weeks and I remember opening that document and just feeling like I was gonna like throw up everywhere because I was like I just don't know like how am I going to do it but you wake up uh, on the morning of each of those sessions and you, know, you jog down to Bushy Park with your backpack on and your shoes and you start the session and there wasn't a, a single one that I didn't complete you know like you always do like it's one of those things around the type of person that it's like if something's if I've decided I'm going to do something I'll, I'll I'll do it like even if it's hard and I complain about it and get worried about it before I'll, I'll go and I'll do it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it sounds like you'd need that mindset. And, you know, as Becky said, jog down to Bushy Park. So sorry if you're in Scotland, but keep jogging down. <laughs> You'll get there eventually. <laughs> but no, OK, you know, that's that's good to hear that the times, yeah, or at least, you know, the pace is a little bit slower for, for a longer mileage. That that would make sense. And so I guess, you know, things really started to snowball for you, you know, as you progress through the marathons. T- talk us through, you know, what was it like when you qualified or ran the qualifying time for the European Championships? What was that marathon like and what changes had you tweaked with nutrition? Yeah, so in terms of nutrition, so I did Kew Gardens in, let me get the years right, it would be March 2021. Yeah, March 2021, I did Kew Gardens Marathon, got the fueling wrong, ran like 2.38, then I decided that I wanted to get the fueling right and I did London Marathon that October and I ran 2.34. The build-up for that race wasn't great. I'd had issues with my hamstring following the first marathon so it wasn't a fantastic build-up but one thing that I knew was that I was going to get the fueling right and I did and I ran 2.34 and I was like I'm not particularly like over the moon with this time but equally I know I've got the fueling right and I know that I can do this so that if I can then have a better block then surely I'll be able to run a, a better time type of thing. But then it kind of came around so that Manchester Marathon was going to be the trial for Europeans and Commonwealths. And I just, I'm the type of person that like, the time is what the time ends up being. If you if you run your best race, then you'll run a good time type of thing. Um, and I didn't really want to think about what the, the qualifying times were because I was like, well, if, if I go and run hard and I happen to run those times, great. If I don't, then if I've done everything I can, that's absolutely fine. I don't want to put too much pressure on myself. Um, but it was also the final term of uni. I had like my dissertation to do and working four day a week and it was just a lot. So I simply just kind of like banked all the sessions, you know, did all the training and got to marathon day. And I, I was kind of like, I've got no idea what, you know, what shape I'm in really. Like I'd done all the sessions and yeah, the training had gone well like nothing had gone wrong in terms of like I didn't have any injuries or anything um but equally because of everything else going on in my life I hadn't like really thought about like what pace I was going to run in the marathon or anything and the coach that I had at the time was like 
Yeah, I can remember being in the the like conference room the day the like the evening before Manchester Marathon, and they were like asking us like what paces we wanted to go out and stuff. And at this point, I think it was just nerves, but I felt awful. I felt like I was coming down with the flu. I was like, have I got COVID? Felt awful, and I was just like, I don't even know whether I'm going to get round to six miles. Never mind the full marathon. And my coach was like, well, you've got to go off, you know to shoot for the European time which is 2.32 because if you don't get it then you've still got a chance with being under the 2.34 mark for Commonwealth and I was like yeah fair enough like fine I'll, I'll do it type of thing and yeah I ended up running 2.29 and it's all a bit of a blur really but I didn't know that I was I definitely didn't think I was in shape to run 2.29 um, but it, all I can kind of say is that like it wasn't that I felt amazing during the race. It was just that nothing went wrong. <laughs> and I think that's it with the marathon. It's just like you have if if nothing goes wrong in the race, then that's a really good day. Like if you have no issues with like, you know, if you don't kind of have that crash, you don't have that, you know, you don't bonk, you know, your fueling goes well, you don't get, you know, blisters, whatever, then it's going to be a good day. And I simply, you know, I got to like 22 miles and I was just like, I've not hit the wall yet. And then I was like, right, four miles to go. The, the closer I can get to the finish line before, then, you know, then the better. I just kind of kept that mindset. and was just like, just get as close as you can, just get as close as you, you can. And I got to the finish line and didn't hit the wall. And I, that's kind of what made the good marathon type of thing. It was just that, like, that that wall never came. Um, yeah, it, it was special, like, when I crossed that finish line because I just, I'd achieved something that was beyond my own expectations and I kind of thought that in that moment I was like yeah this is special actually yeah I mean 229 is honestly insane I don't I'll, I'll go and work it out and you know add this in later but turns out that's 541 minutes per mile pace guys so pretty fast yeah that that's got to be some <laughs> ridiculous pace and to not hit the wall I mean that's just you know the clear signs of a perfectly executed perfectly plan training block fueling situations so yeah I mean yeah that's absolutely incredible and you know then how were the European championships I mean I can't imagine running another marathon again in in such a short space of time uh see this this was the thing and this is where it all gets a little bit like it was you know like what a dream come true at the age of 22 to qualify for the European championships like a senior vest like it's so young and like if if, it, if I was on looking at somebody else I'd be like wow that's absolutely amazing but the week before I did Manchester Marathon I um said to a friend she was like what's your plans afterwards and I said I can't do another marathon this year I said like mentally and physically oh, I can't do it because I am really young and the marathon is such a long way not just physically but that you know you put so much into this one day and if this one day goes wrong then you know you you can't go and do another one next week you can't like it's it's so much more than that and it is stressful and is it it is really hard and I said I can't do another one and then you know I qualified for Europeans and obviously you're not going to turn it down but I knew that it was going to be too much like I I knew it and halfway through the block I got COVID and then a week later I got this awful pain in my back and then the rest of that block was just a combination of me trying to get through sessions and running on painkillers and going to see various different physios no one really knew what was wrong and I was probably playing down how much it was hurting but I knew that I could get around the marathon and I knew that I could do myself justice and I don't regret doing that 
I, like not one bit because you know I I went and I was the third counter out of four and I finished 31st and looking back like it was a far from ideal race because it was really really hot I hadn't been able to put the training in I'd had COVID pretty badly like for the first time you know in right in the middle of that block and I still finished 31st so it was kind of like that thing of like oh actually like everything possible could have gone wrong but still done all right but I was just I I I told myself the night before I actually spoke to my coach from back from 2017 the coach before I went to uni I spoke to him on the phone the night before the race and he was just like you know this is this is what we what we planned and I cried and I just told myself I was like there's no way that you're not crossing that finish line and yeah I did it across that finish line and it was I, I just remember crossing it and just thinking oh my god like I have actually done this like the amount of tears leading up to that race because I just didn't know I, I didn't know what to do um but yeah it, it, yeah it that was that was special but equally it was weird because it was kind of like I couldn't be proud of my performance because like I know that I can run so much better than that in the marathon like you know but I, I was proud of how how tough I could be type of thing to you know say that I was going to do something and like carry it out because you know standing on that start line I think I it was a four lap course and I got to like one lap in and I just thought I've got such a long way left because I'm like not prepared for this like it just set, seemed like like the longest marathon in the world it, it just seemed so long but yeah got around yeah. gosh no I mean 31st is still amazing and you know you might not be so proud of the performance but you can definitely be proud of you and with a lead up from hell I mean yeah honestly incredible um to to run so many marathons like that and I guess that leads me to my sort of my next question is when you finish a marathon surely with that amount of kind of training you can you just stop or do you sort of have to detrain back down oh no there's there's no way that you can it, it's kind of like a you do the marathon and that's just kind of like that's it like your body just you go from it it's and I think this is almost like a weird thing of like that kind of brings in that kind of like marathon kind of like anxiety and nerves is because you go into that day like in the shape of your life like in so much fitness and you come out of it like the shell of a human like you know like for me like even things like your heart rate it takes a really long time for it to like get back to normal and it's weird because you can do these really big sessions and like recover from them and go again in the next week of your training but with the marathon itself and racing it like I don't know what it is but like you can't like you know that kind of week after the marathon like lots of people do different methods and some people will take a full month off some people will you know take two weeks off I like to kind of like start jogging fairly soon afterwards give it a couple of days but I'm talking like like one kilometer just because your legs hurt so much that like along with massages and drinking the water and stuff but like you need to keep things moving to kind of like get that feeling out but it, it it takes a really long time to get back to feeling like yourself again even just like everything feels hard work like everything you're like like just like normal daily tasks it just and you know I know this you know from coaching as well from you know like emotions are high like even if it's people with like you know at work things like that everything just feels so much harder but it, it just shows how much you are putting your body 
through and you've got to respect that you know it's 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 different to it's different to a half marathon it's different to a cross-country race like it is yeah it's different <laughs> yeah absolutely well you know don't mess with the marathon I have to say though yeah. I'm I'm pretty curious now I I think I'm gonna have to try one myself see see what it really feels like um yeah. and I guess then you know if you reflect on your journey overall to, to this point or actually firstly you know where are you at at the moment and yeah what what's that situation yeah so at the moment so I came off the back of Europeans got two stress fractures then had to have three months off and rebuild from scratch which was pretty much um the start of this year and I've done that you know really sustainably and really you know kind of like sensibly um working with a new coach and I'm really just enjoying being feeling like I'm back to like where I want to be so yeah you know kind of like going forwards getting back racing and racing um you know like I say times come with good races and I think that especially in road running like as much as it is about times because it's something that you can compare but like actually running a good race is important as well type of thing especially like if it's um you know like a a fairly like well-known race or things like that so that's what I'm looking at doing over this over this next year and yeah hopefully a spring marathon um but ultimately just I feel like I'm thrive when I'm training hard I feel like I'm like thriving um and yeah that's where I want to be um yeah yeah absolutely thriving is the thriving is the goal you know surviving is the baseline so definitely want to be back there and you know as what I was going to say beforehand almost as well was you know you mentioned at the start having the stress fracture was also a really positive thing for you would you be able to expand upon you know some of those benefits or you know I guess additional positives yeah so I think for me I it is one of those things where it's like like somehow I got to this time last year through my turbulent running journey you know under fueling you know running loads running on you know hard like impact surfaces loads of miles a week and I I had never got injured I hadn't you know which definitely doesn't follow the trend of like lots of other people and part of me felt like I was always waiting for that injury and like I deserved one so much because I'd done so many you know I hadn't been particularly sensible type of thing I, I felt like you know one was coming at some point and then another part of me thought like maybe I am invincible maybe I'm not you know maybe I'm safe from stress fractures um but yeah it was almost just that kind of like realization that like you've been very lucky for a very long time but you know you're not invincible and you're actually pretty broken you know this time last year um but you know from those stress fractures you know during the time that I was actually injured you know I really focused on kind of like my work and like building the coaching business and also just kind of like existing as Becky Briggs who is very influential in the running space without actually running myself and that you know I can still be that without you know without you know like obviously I want to be running because I love it so much but like I'm still me if if I am injured or you know if I you know runners get injured and that's okay um I could still be me and it also gave me the opportunity to you know not live the life of you know such a young marathon runner because you've got to be really disciplined and say no to a lot of things and you know I I wouldn't you know it's not that I regret you know turning to the marathon so young but equally like 
it was really nice to like go out with my friends and you know get really drunk and not have to think about a long run the next day and not know that obviously I know that it's not very good for recovery I know that but to kind of think that you know obviously it's it's a lot easier to get on the spin bike for 40 minutes when you're really hungover than it is to go for a 15 mile run it just is and I needed that I really needed that to like be like yeah okay this is great it's not the life that I want to lead all the time but actually like it's like these things are still there if I want to do them and that's like it's okay to be really disciplined but it's okay if you want to go out and be a normal person for one day that's fine as well just don't do it the week before a marathon (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah absolutely I mean I think the UK's latest oldest person and their latest advice as per what I saw on Instagram anyway um you know the the guy was saying it's all about moderation and you know what might do detriment for your physical health might do you know the world of wonders for your mental health so yeah definitely you know balance is so important and coming back off the coming back off that do you now feel refreshed and you know ready to go and and strong again yeah definitely like 100% like whereas previously I was very much like no like I've got to be disciplined like absolutely all of the time now I'm kind of in the frame of mind of like if I have a big race that's a target race like that month before I like I know I can be really disciplined when I want to be but I feel like it's very much like like my choice now and that like I don't need to feel pressured by like anybody else or like what I should be doing or what I shouldn't be doing is that like no it's my choice so for instance I'm doing the Great North Run this weekend like for the past month like I've you know said no to going out I haven't had an like any unnecessary drinks but like you know you best believe that next week like there there is going to be a night out you know type of thing like because you can't be super strict forever because it's not good for you because you become tired of it and like you know I want to feel really like um excited about life and that means you know being really disciplined before a race and having that focus and then being able to relax Mm. and then doing it again but you know you can't be kind of like at the very top all the time yeah absolutely and yeah and we're you know coming to the end of our time now so yeah, thank you so much for sharing so much invaluable insight. You know, it, it's definitely unique to be able to get a real insight into someone of such a high level and running marathons, especially. And, you know, you've obviously got your coaching on on the side as well. And yeah, on that note, in case anyone does want to get in touch with you from a kind of looking for a coach point of view, is there somewhere they can contact you? yeah so the best port of call is to go through my instagram and just go through my dms i will always be able to reply on there um yeah my instagram is at becky underscore briggs underscore nrg and nrg is the coaching business that i work for so in case that seems a little bit confusing that's (laughs) that's why that's in there (laughs) yeah at becky underscore briggs underscore nrg for anyone who does want to get in contact with her you know if she can do it for herself she can do it for you um one would assume anyway yeah the evidence evidence seems to be there but no thank you so much becky um it's been great talking to you you too thank you so much for having me no absolute pleasure so that's it for today thanks for listening i hope you enjoyed today's episode if you did be sure to rate subscribe and leave a review this really helps to get the content out there and i want to make this podcast the best possible for you So go follow Fitter, Faster, Happier 
on Instagram. That's fitter, faster, happier. To leave your questions, comments and feedback. And for updates and guest requests. All the best for the week ahead, guys. Run happy, live happy, be happy.